0: One thing I love in the world, because you always just assume everybody's all just connected to their phones and knows everything about everything instantaneously. I love when you tell somebody something that's, that has happened that's, like, newsworthy, and they have no idea. Like, the other week, my wife and I went over to her grandma's house, and it was a Sunday. Her grandma was watching the Sac State-Montana game that was getting replayed on TV. She had no idea that it wasn't live. She just totally watched it live, had no idea what was happening. It was awesome. I was like, I'm not going to tell you what happened. I'm, you can just pause it and we can you can watch the rest. It was great. But anyways, I just, uh, earlier today, if you haven't heard, by the way, it's Duana's now ESPN Radio. Thanks for tuning back in. Uh, if you haven't heard, Pink is coming to town. Pink's coming to Missoula. Now, I think Pink's cool. I certainly like went on her Spotify and listened to some songs, and I knew some, and, and then I listened to a whole bunch of other songs that, uh, I, that the song I know, I just didn't know it was by her. I start reading more. Her second album sold 13 million copies. She sold 135 million records worldwide. That's like all time. I, I bet you there's less than 50 artists ever that have sold that many records. That's crazy. I know record sales is becoming an antiquated measure of how famous somebody is. But anyways, so I just texted my sister-in-law. I said, do you like pink? Do we like pink? I don't know if I like pink. She's like, yes, I love pink. Why? And I said, she's coming to Missoula. All caps. All caps. I must go. I want to go. <laughs> so, love when you break the news to people. Uh, but that's the news of the day. At, uh, we uh, released it last night here at the little Broadcasting Company. Aubrey at the U was having a great uh, remote to announce all this. So, um, there you go. Pink coming to town. If you the first hour of Nuana's Now, you can always find it on the Nuances Now podcast. Probably presented by Blackfoot Communications, the M-Store where they're all grizz. All the time. And the MSU Bookstore. Visit msubookstore.org. TJ Miller tickets next Friday night at the Wilma. We have uh, another pair for you. So call us right now. 406-888-1029. Call number four. TJ Miller is a a super fun comedian. Probably most famous for some of his stuff secondarily on... um, Comedy Central. He's also on the show Silicon Valley, which is a fun show. And uh, if you don't know, just look him up. You'll recognize him right away. But he, he's super funny, super cool, and uh, he's coming to Missoula next Friday. So uh, call us right now, 406-888-1029. The news of the day in the Twitter sphere: same news, different person when it comes to Montana State football. They lost. A couple premier players earlier this week, Omar Abedion, an all-conference offensive lineman, Rush Reimer, an all-American offensive lineman, each put their names in the portal. By the way, it's working out for them already. Reimer, today alone, got offers from Oregon State, Purdue, Kansas State, and Boise State. Abedion... Got offers from BYU, Arizona State, Central Florida, Texas Tech, Boston College, Liberty, UMass, North Texas, and Texas State. So those guys certainly hauling in the offers. Well, like I said, same news, different subject. Sebastian Valdez into the NCAA transfer portal. He's a multiple-time All-Big Sky defensive tackle at All-American two years ago. Certainly one of the most physically formidable players I've ever covered. Uh, he is—he's as put together as any guy you will see. He's got an FBS body all the way. So uh, interesting to see that he'll be dabbling in the uh, transfer portal. Uh, as we said yesterday, for Montana State football, they just—they got to figure out a way to stop the bleeding. They got to stop the bleeding. They got to get uh, the guys that you know—you got to re-recruit your own roster, get them in house, get them rolling. And uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be tenuous though, because I think a lot of the stuff in terms of stopping the bleeding is out of Montana State's control. As long as this window is open, guys are going to be at least considering. So, you know, like they say, don't hate the player, hate the game. It's uh, The game's pretty crazy right now, and I don't know how you'd do it if you were a, a college coach. By the way, just dropped a, 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 our most recent and probably final episode of the season of Riding with Ryder, which is our fun YouTube video podcast series. Mike Ryder, former Bobcat captain and former Bobcat coach, he joins me weekly to talk all things Bobcat football, and a formidable part of our conversation was all about this exact dynamic. These guys entering the portal. What does it all mean? What do we think of it all? So you can check that out on YouTube and at SkySportsMT.com. Andrew, I never got your feedback on this. Uh, we we put it in the sports center, and uh, we talked about it yesterday on the show, and all the crazy coaching carousel things that have been got going on out west, and its effect or lack thereof on the Big Sky. But what do you think of the new? The two new coaches in the big sky. I know you said you you weren't that familiar with Brian Wright because his time at Montana State was before you were uh, in Montana. But start on the other one. Start with UC Davis. What did you think of the Tim Plough hire there for Davis? Well, I appreciate how quickly
1: they got it done, right? Yeah, right. There was no real
0: drama. It was kind of just like, this is what's going down, and he's the guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were people reporting... Dan Hawkins is resigning, and they're looking at Tim Plow to fill a vacancy at the same time. Right. Uh, so I appreciate that. No long, drawn-out coaching search. And I I think that's a, a good thing when you're hiring a coach, right? And certainly, um, I don't really know. There are always people who come next, to their alma mater. There are people who succeed there. There are people who fail there. I don't know yeah. if that tells you so much about whether
0: well, they're going to succeed or not. You see Davis is the school where... I, I I'm actually I actually am confident that uh UC Davis I don't think has ever had a head coach that it wasn't their alma mater. I think that they've only had guys that went to UC Davis. That's just sort of like that's the defining factor of UC Davis's coaching is their coaching tree. Jim Sochar on down. Dan Hawkins was a part of that. Now Tim Plough's a part of that.
1: Well, it kind of makes sense for UC Davis as opposed to anywhere else, right? Because you're not going to have a shortage of smart guys who are graduating from that program to then potentially attract back there and coach. And it, it's a it's a great job, right? If you if you went right, there,
0: totally.
1: it's a great job, but especially for your first head coaching job, like it is for Tim Plow. I mean, a lot of potential there. And I think the other thing is that that Davis guys know how to deal with the challenges of it more than somebody coming from outside, right? And I'm talking about being able to recruit
0: with the academics there. For sure. What's your opinion on that? I've always thought this. Okay, if you're coaching at Notre Dame or Stanford or UC Davis, you certainly can't recruit a lot of guys because they can't get into school there. To me, and and people talk about that being like a a quote-unquote disadvantage. I think it's an advantage because you just don't have to look at all these guys. Don't have to pay attention to them. Right, like... And that's why it's so baffling when Stanford isn't very good. Because you, wouldn't you just recruit all of the the guys that can get into Stanford, which are a very small pool, and then just try to get the best football players? And then if you get you know one out of three, then you're probably doing pretty
1: good? Yeah, I mean, it allows you, to, I would think, to evaluate them on a deeper level because you're not looking at as many guys. Like you said, there are a bunch of high school kids who you can just sort of disregard out of hand when you're recruiting them. The ones that you can look at, you have the chance to evaluate them. Uh, you to spend more time on evaluating them than than do some coaching staffs at some other schools. So that's part of the reason I'm not really surprised, right? Like UC Davis has come up with some some gems who are not widely recruited, but their staff has the time to look at these kids to really evaluate them uh, to figure out if they're the kind of of player who's going to maybe be able to develop after a couple years in a college program. Um, So I,
0: there are pluses and minuses. There certainly is, no doubt. Thoughts on the NAU hire with Brian Wright? I mean, he's had success in the Big Sky. It's been a long time, though. I mean, 2010 seems like in your mind's eye to be not that long ago, but it actually was a long time ago. So where are we at with that one there at NAU? Well, I think the Brian Wright, and I don't know a
1: ton about him, or I don't know him as deeply as you do, of course, Sure. feels like a little bit of just a reaction to the Chris Ball Mm. failure, and I, I, you know, that's harsh on Chris Ball, who's a guy who we like, but For it's, sure. it's a, they, they went in the opposite way of Chris Ball, right? Yep. Defensive coach, now you have an offensive coach. That's right. You had a guy from outside the league, now you have a guy who's been inside the league before, who's got a ton of those connections, who, like you said, is a member of the, the sort of old boys club, or at least has connections to it around the Big Sky Conference. So that part was interesting to me, and I, I kind of like that uh, that idea of hiring, right? Last thing you did didn't work. Let's get somebody new in with a completely opposite view, fresh ideas, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my initial thoughts on it. I'm I'm, sort of waiting until we talk with them for the first time, waiting to see what that team looks like, waiting to see what they do in the transfer portal in the off season.
0: Well, it's now ESPN Radio. Let's dive into our ESPN roundtable. It's probably presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula for your production uh, desires. Andrew will do... Uh, whatever I talk about up through the break here, and then we'll pin the uh, the excerpt on the other side in there with the ESPN Roundtable tomorrow as well. You can always find the ESPN Roundtable during the noon hour on Thursdays as well if you ever missed anything in it. But let's learn about Furman, just in, as ge- in general, as a university and uh, as a football team. So first of all, we'll start the university. The uh, university was founded in 1826 as the Furman Academy and Theological Institution It moved to the Furman Institution to straight up about 12 years later and has just been called Furman University um, since 1851. So it's been around for a long time, almost 200 years of history for Furman. So that's impressive. They uh, have an $812 million endowment, which is impressive regardless, but it's incredibly impressive considering that they only have 2,400 students. 2,443, two, four, four, 2, 2,443 is the official number there at Furman. Not a lot of postgraduate stuff, which is ironic because they actually have a quarterback who's a postgraduate student, uh, Tyler Huff, their quarterback. He's a grad transfer from Presbyterian University, but only 160 postgraduates. This is just from their school's website that I'm looking at. So that's interesting. It's uh, it's in Greenville, South Carolina, which, uh, in my very limited, but, uh, research looks like a beautiful place. Uh, it's, there's a river in town. They have a nice bridge. So, you know, Missoula-esque in that element, at least. Greenville is in the, uh, northwestern corner of South Carolina. It's about 75,000 people. So, you know, relatively similar size to, to Missoula. And, uh, they have a campus there. They have a, a school there. So I have, either you guys, you don't have to get on the mic if you don't want to. You just give me thumbs up or thumbs down. Either you guys been to Greenville, South Carolina? No, no Greenville, South Carolina. Just sounds like a nice place. I don't. I don't know. It sounds like it would be. A nice place. They they all said, and the guys I've talked to there at Vermin, they all said they love living there. Great quality of life. There's a minor league baseball team there. Okay, I think yeah. that's why I asked because I I knew safford has got his minor league stuff. You know, he's always going all around. Yeah, and
1: it's close to Clemson. I've never actually been in that area. I I don't think I've ever been to South Carolina. Period. Which is weird because I've been to all of the states around it.
0: Okay, interesting. They also have a, a, a interesting way of of keeping metropolitan areas in this part of the world. This Greenville is what they call an anchor city of a region known as upstate and upstate shares a cumulative metropolitan population. So this is basically upstate South Carolina is actually considered one metro area, even though it includes multiple towns and cities. So 1.5 million in that area. So uh, certainly a, a populated little metro center Greenville Was the uh, fourth fastest growing city in the United States between 2015 and 2018? So that's interesting as well. the uh, The university itself it's a private liberal arts school. They have we were talking about UC Davis's high academic uh, institutional standards. Furman also has that. Uh, They also are uh, famous. I mean, truly famous because they were a part of the. Landmark Supreme Court case in 1954. Brown versus the Board of Education. Brown versus the Board of Education case found the separate but equal policy to be unconstitutional, starting the lengthy process of desegregating public schools. As of that date, Furman, the like most other Southern colleges did not accept African Americans as students, so uh, th- there was a whole bunch of protests there. Uh, there was a, a lot of, of pushback. But then uh, it became a segregated campus and it was one of the first segregated campuses or unsegregated, desegregated campuses, excuse me, uh, in that part of the country. So that's interesting as well. Let's learn about the football team then at Furman. I think the number one fact that most people around Missoula know is that Montana beat Furman for the 2001 National Championship, which is the last time the Grizz won the National Championship. Well, Furman has a long history of success. They've been very, very good. This is their 20th playoff appearance this season. They're in the playoffs for back-to-back seasons. They have 21 playoff wins. That's a lot. That's quite a few. I mean, to put that perspective, the the all-time record is 46. North Dakota State set that last week with their win over Montana State. The Grizz have, I think, 35. I'm going to stat check that. But the Grizz have 30-plus playoff wins. But 21 playoff wins is more than schools like Montana State or Delaware. So 21 is a, a substantial number of playoff wins. So Furman has been perennially in the playoffs, and they have also had a lot of success in the playoffs as well. Their most recent SOCON title was their 15th, so that's also very good. We'll put that in perspective. I think the Grizz have 21 Big Sky football titles. The Cats have 18, so 15 is very, very good. And... uh Furman's won four of the last 10 SoCon titles as well. So they've been sort of the cream of the crop. For those wondering who else is in the SoCon, well, they were most famed when they had Georgia Southern and Appalachian State there, but they also now include schools like Mercer, schools like uh, Chattanooga, schools like West Carolina, um, schools like the Citadel. So SoCon still has some uh, relatively strong football programs with good tradition. Furman has also won a national championship. They played for the national title in 1985, and they lost. And they also lost in 2001, so they've been to three national championship games. But they won the national championship in 1988. So um, they, they've certainly had some high watermarks as well. Their head coach, is uh, it, it's, his, it's his alma mater, and he's, and he's been there on and off for more than half of his life. He has Clay Hendricks is, is the man's name and he will join us later on this week as well. He's been there for six seasons as the head coach. But he uh, he was an offensive lineman at Furman as a player and then was a assistant coach there for a long time and then a coordinator there for a long time. Then he went to the Air Force Academy and then he came back and has been the head coach since 2016. So he's had a good run there. And uh, it's funny. I'll give you one tease. I'll give you one tidbit from the uh, the interview Clay Hendricks and I had earlier today. I didn't even ask him this question. He, he sort of repeated this question being asked to him. He said, somebody asked me earlier this week what team Mo- that the Montana Grizzlies reminded him of. And he said, it reminds me of the team that we go against in practice every single day. So... Both these teams are defensively oriented. Furman averaging, uh, giving up about 17 points per game. The Grizz giving up about 14 points per game. Both of them giving up less than 100 yards rushing. Both of them are fast and physical defensively. And both of them put a high priority on taking away the ball and dominating the turnover margin. Furman has the number one turnover margin in the the country at the FCS level. They are, uh, I believe, plus 26, which is an absurd number, of, uh, of turnovers, excuse me, plus 16, they have 26 takeaways. So uh, that's that's really, really impressive. To put that in perspective, Montana, I believe, is plus 10 this year. So uh, both these teams going to be good on special teams, great on defense, high priority on taking the ball away, and uh, going to try to be controlling the clock uh, offensively as well, What else do you need to know about Furman? It's our ESPN roundtable, probably presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula. Paradise Falls has, uh, right now that we're getting into basketball season, there's a dizzying number of basketball games uh, that are streamed at the high school level. But Paradise Falls has any and all of them, especially the local teams. You want to watch the Missoula teams or the Bitterroot Valley teams, you're in and around the area, they'll put it on for you. You can enjoy lunch or dinner while you're uh, watching them. But uh, they also can get you any game. If there's like a big game, like the other night, Lodgegrass and Harden played. You want to check that out, they can put it on for you. They have more than 20 big screen TVs, 18 draft beers, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check out Paradise Falls, 3621 Brook Street, Paradise Falls. Missoula's coolest hotspot. Other things to know about Furman. uh, The quarterback is, like I said, a grad transfer. He's been there for two years. Graduated at Presbyterian in three. So he's a fifth-year senior. Tyler Huff's his name. He's about 6'1", 215 pounds. He's tough, hard-nosed. Bobby Houck really likes him. He's also a, an Army Reserve guy. He's like an ROTC guy. He's got a military background. And uh, you could tell he's just a, a tough-minded guy and a mature guy when I talked to him earlier today. So uh, that that's uh, a fun fold. And if you ask me, like, what defines the SOCON, it's, it's different because the, the league has had so much influx, and they've lost... Several of their their primary teams, like App State and Georgia Southern, over the last you know ten fifteen years. So I I used to tell you that that the conference was defined by speed and toughness. I don't know if you can still say that about the SoCon as a whole, but I do think that's what you could say about Furman. They they I did watch them a couple times in prep for this week, and they look fast and physical defensively, and they look really tough minded across the board, and I think that's what their head coach wants them to be. I think that's what he wants the identity of their program to be. So, our ESPN Roundtable. You're on, to on us now. More on Furman, Montana, a history lesson dating back to 2001. We'll hear an excerpt from Grizz Greats. Johnny Montana, John Edwards, the quarterback of that 2001 National Championship Grizz team, joins us next. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Jewelry Design Center is not your average jewelry store. The friendly, welcoming staff is so excited to be in Montana, and the craftsmanship, unique creativity, care, and artisanship you'll receive at the Jewelry Design Center is second to none. Is there anything you guys can't do?
2: We don't cut diamonds, <laughs> okay? Yeah, but we can facilitate that. Right? It's unique that we cast our own metal, we grow our own models, we hand carve, as well as use computer-aided technology to design. We're pushing the limits of what we had previously thought was impossible.
0: Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life. Oh! It's on is now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Do people still find out about artists via like the Tonight Show? Like my mom always talks about like the first time the Beatles, Rod and Sullivan, and watching it and being like, "Oh my gosh, who are these guys?" Does that still happen now? I don't think so. No. <laughs> to to get on
1: those shows now, right? Like you have to have been found out already about on the internet
0: before. That's right. There's there's I only had two experiences like that in my life, and and they were both twenty plus years ago. Because now both of these are incredibly established artists that have had you know double digit albums, and that's John Mayer. And Alicia Keys. Interesting. I saw... I never forget the first time I saw Alicia Keys. My, my mind was blown. I was like, that young lady is going to be absolutely world famous... She's gonna, and uh, and of course, that came true, because how could she not?
1: I'm trying to think if that's ever happened to me, and I think that gap might have fallen between your generation and mine. No, for sure. I, it I, had to
0: be in the early 2000s, because like you said, now, I mean, now everybody has Google and they have a phone in their pocket. Yeah. It, it hasn't happened in the last 15 years, for sure. You're
1: not finding out about somebody on Saturday Night Live anymore, you know? <laughs>
0: no, right? For sure. I wish we still had those kind of moments, right? Like, people always talk about when Whitney Houston was on Arsenio Hall, too, it just blew their minds. That's just, I just think that would be so cool to just be watching. TV and see Whitney Houston for the first time.
1: I used to be able to do that in sports too, right? Sure. You still you had the box scores in the newspaper or whatever. Yeah, not the same as seeing somebody like come to your town for the first time or like they're on
0: the one game of the week on yeah. Saturdays. We do have that a little bit in live music. You know, it's not as now ESPN Radio like here in Missoula. Yes, like if you see like somebody, I, that's why I always try to go to the shows at the Top Hat because you might see somebody that's an up and comer that a few people know, but then all of a sudden they blow up. And this is how it was when I saw Tyler. Childers, he was sort of fringe famous, and I went and saw him at the Wilma and I was like, oh, that guy's cool. I actually didn't think he would become as famous as he is right now, though. Because I just thought he was too good. Interesting. And like too different, right? Right, too different. That's what I mean. Yeah. He, he's this kind of I don't know, he's not mainstream, even though he's very I mean he's an excellent songwriter, he's very Americana. But he's not mainstream so I, I was surprised that he became you know like a stadium rocker
1: yeah you could write like a you could write a pretty long story about why that happened
0: oh you absolutely can there's so many different folds to it we got speaking of live acts we got tj miller tickets for you one more set call right now 406 888 1029 call number 3 next friday night at the wilma tj miller fun comedian here in town call number 4 406 888 1029 our ESPN roundtable continues with an excerpt from our Grizz Greats podcast series. This is chronicling the 2001 national champion Grizzlies. They beat Furman to secure that national championship. And uh, the Paladins are back in town to uh, this weekend on Friday night. Play that uh, excerpt for me. Fifteen wins in a row coming into that two thousand and one Bobcat Grizz game in Bozeman. So, what do you remember about the week leading up to that game? And uh, you never want to say a foregone conclusion for a rivalry game, but you guys had the Bobcats number for quite some time at that moment in time.
2: Yeah, yeah, we did. And you know, it's always a fun week, and uh, it's a it's an intense week. And like I mentioned earlier, with the guys that uh, you know played against my high school teammates are now against you on the other side of the field. And and that was a fun win in in Bozeman and uh you know we were uh, again we were just we were playing pretty good at the time and uh and we went down and and it was still a very competitive game and and certainly not uh you know nobody nobody ever takes that game for granted and uh and if you do you're going to get stung but um but we were able to get out of out of Bozeman with the victory that year and and, uh, and keep it rolling. You know at that point in time, we've been played a lot of games and, uh, and haven't haven't lost any other than to, to Hawaii when we, we played Hawaii out in in Maui.
0: Then you get into the playoffs, number one overall seed. There's a lot of parallels between Montez's 95 run to the National Championship and this 2000 run. We had a couple teams from the South coming to Washington Grizzly Stadium, and during the playoffs, that seems to never go well for the visitors from the South. Southern teams coming to Washington Grizzly Stadium. Seems like it's a distinct disadvantage, particularly when it's in December, playing outside, it's cold, but also Grizz fans seem to be even more rocking when you know they, they have to drink a little hot cocoa, maybe a little schnapps in there, keep themselves warm for the playoffs. What do you, what do you remember about those games earlier? early on at Washington Grizzly Stadium and those Southland teams that had to come to Missoula to to take you guys on? Oh,
2: I mean, I think it's difficult for anybody, to be honest with you, just because at at our level, you just don't see those kind of stadiums where you have to deal with that um, from these other teams that that we generally play. And so um, I think it's a difficult period. And then you add, you know, playoffs in Missoula, like you say, with the weather and the atmosphere, um you know nobody's prepared for that and it's almost impossible to prepare for it and it's such an advantage um you know you you watch it uh, you, we have not had the grizz have not had great success in the playoffs when they've had to go on the road and do it and you look at the success when they when they have the the home field advantage uh they've they've rolled through the playoffs um and and you know a lot of those teams I mean go back to the 95 team like you were saying I mean some of those games were Some of those playoff games were 60-0, to and and we rolled um, a number of teams in those playoffs by big margins just because it's so hard for them to get, you know, and if you get off to a a quick start, um, you know, it starts to, the momentum just, it just crushes them with that fan base and, and that stadium.
0: The semi-final game Northern Iowa 38 to nothing an unbelievable effort and then all of a sudden you're heading back to Chattanooga Tennessee the game week leading up probably a, a lot of hype but also probably a lot of business like attitudes because you guys had been there before a vast majority of that team had experienced this before so what do you remember just about the preparation leading up to the national championship game
2: uh, it was huge you know a huge benefit to have done it the year before so you know we knew what what to expect we knew what to to look for and not pay attention to and, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it was, it was all business. It was a, um, the, the attitude was, you know, we're not happy just to be back. Um, we, we have to, we have to come back and, and win this thing. And one of the good things was it wasn't raining in Chattanooga like it was in 2000. It was one of the, the hardest conditions to to play in that I, that I played in. I mean, the cold and, and all of that stuff. I mean, it, it was, uh, the raindrops down there were were unbelievable, and it was cold, and that field was miserable. So, it was a a much added benefit to have decent weather. But no, it was a, it was a business trip, and and you know our goal was was clear just
0: just to win. In Montana's defense probably couldn't have played any better in that game against Furman in Chattanooga, December twenty first of two thousand and one. The Grizzlies did not give up touchdown or any points whatsoever until the very last play of the game. What do you remember about just the action throughout? Was it tense? The fact that you guys were sort of clinging to a lead, even though the defense was pitching a shutout? Or what do you remember just about the way you guys were able to execute that afternoon?
2: Yeah, it took it. You know, the, me personally, I, you know, I, I know that I, I started the game. I was I was I was anxious and a little tight and and wasn't quite. I mean you you really you have to take care of the football and and you know sometimes when you're trying to uh to play safe uh your your hesitation um you know you don't play loose you, you don't play that well so it took me I know it took me a couple series before I really felt comfortable in that game but um you know I'd leave it to to you know Hansi and and those guys that uh that as soon as we kind of cruised into the second quarter things got better and and we started throwing the ball a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, we had some, some missed opportunities that um, it had us a little bit nervous in the fact that, of course, we could rely on our defense and, you know, Trey Young and, and Vinny and those guys, uh, you know, Vinny's uh, interception that, that sealed the deal. And uh, it, it it was clear to me in the first quarter that everybody was playing a little tight. But once we um, once we got it together and... And started rolling. You know, again, we, we always had, we always had confidence, and uh, the fact we were able to put some points on the board. We were a little disappointed in the fact that we didn't have more. But uh, at the end of the day, it's all we needed.
0: Well, we talked about the offensive line. You mentioned Yohasi Humphreys a couple times here, and also Molden. Those guys were a couple of my favorite guys when I was growing up and watching you guys uh, when I was in high school. Just start with Yo. I mean, he is one of the great players in Grizz history. Period. But what made him special?
2: his ability to move laterally it, it was it was just insane. He wasn't the world's fastest guy. Um, you know, if if he broke it he probably wasn't going to, you know, break it for a for a 75-yard, but his ability to move between the tackles laterally is still one of the most unbelievable things I could ever, you know, witness at the, the a lot of the times I mean, you'd hand the ball off and and turn around and watch him do a jump cut that you just like. How did that happen? And and he he never got hit directly um, square by anybody. He he always he he always had the ability to, to at least you know make him make him hit him on the side or, or wherever. He never took a, a direct shot, and you know that allowed him to always fall forward. And um, so he, you don't you didn't see him lose yards.
0: And Atu, what a character. I remember I was growing up in Missoula with Colt Palmer's cousins. They were a couple of my best friends, and I remember mm-hmm. Colt was a, a freshman on that team, but we used to go to practice, and I remember Atu, he'd have his dog there sometimes. I've caught up with him since since his career's been over. He's been on my show a couple times as well. Uh, but just such a funny, fun-loving guy and such a unique character, but also a tremendous player as well.
2: Yeah, a character for sure. I kept the dog's name Dozier. I can't remember what what its name was, but yeah, it would, it would hang out on the on the sidelines during practice, and you know you, you know you're good when you're the only guy that can bring a dog to practice, and uh, the coaches are okay with it, and um, you know. And then the guy was such a unique talent, and and still had one of the he is one of the best competitors that I, that I ever ever imagined uh, being around, and I ever witnessed being around his his level of and he was, he was a pretty chill guy, but um, when he got on the football field, uh, his, his level of competition always went up, and, and he, he expected it out of himself and he expected it out of everybody else. And um, he just brought a, a, a very unique presence to him. And uh, we would have, we would have never, never won a national championship uh, without Otto Molden, there's no question.
0: You guys take care of business. You post a 13-6 victory over Furman, and you're the national champions. You are the kings of the Division One AA football world, the second national title in seven seasons for Montana. That was sort of the thing that just thrust the Grizzlies into the stratosphere, and then Montana was basically unbeatable besides basically the national championship game for the next 10 years. But what do you remember about the aftermath of all that? What was it like uh, coming back? I know you guys didn't come back on a charter like the 95 team. You guys actually stayed there in Chattanooga. So what do you remember about the after party?
2: Yeah, it was an absolute blast, and uh, we we did exactly what you'd probably think we did, and, uh, and and we had a we had a ball with with each other, and and uh, and I, I still remember as the clock was winding down and looking at T.J. Uh, Okers on the sidelines, I was like, oh man, shit, this is really gonna happen, um, and uh, and and it did, and and we we went out and had a ball and. And we did it, uh, we did it right. We did it right when we got back to, to Missoula as well. And for a, for a couple of days, that was a great, uh, it was a great winter break. I can, I can promise you that.
0: Oh, when you got a national championship ring, I guess, I know you guys didn't quite have your rings right away, but I mean, when you are the national champs, people know it. And it's a town like Missoula where everybody just lives and breathes. Chris football, walking into the Mo Club for the first time, walking into stocks for the first time. That must've been so fun.
2: It, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was surreal. And, uh, you know, proud to bring that back uh, to uh, to Missoula, and uh, you know we we have such great support in that town that uh, uh, we we just you know I uh, truly felt you know prideful to be able to bring it back and and uh, accomplish the same thing that the '95 team had done, and uh, and uh, I think they're on their way back of, of getting themselves back in position to to, to be in that game again.
0: We'll get you out of here on that then, because it is interesting to think about. I think if you would have told people back then, you know, coming into like your senior year in 2002, that Montana would then go 20 years without a national championship, that th- that would be the last one for the Grizzlies to this point, as we sit here today and talk of Grizz football, have you or put into perspective just what that championship has meant? And, and has that changed as time has gone on? Because it is sort of crazy that Montana has not won another one since then. Yeah, it
2: is. And you know what? The, the times that I the rare times that I do reflect on it, it 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 just shows you how difficult it is to get there and to get the game won I mean coach Howick went back what two more times and and just barely came up short and um, it, it, you know it's so much stuff has to happen um, and, and has to go right to, to get there and um, you know, honestly, you have to rely on a little bit of luck at some point in time uh, to, to get you there and then to get the game won. And uh, uh, I would have never thought it would take uh, or be 20 years. And, and I'm sorry that it's uh, that it has been. And I hope that that, that ends soon. But, um, yeah, it's it, it just uh, everything has to has to go right. And um, it, it takes it takes the ball bouncing your way a couple of different times.
0: When you think back on those memories, though, I mean, what, what are your definitive memories or what is just your sort of definitive identity of, of what that year and, and that run and, and meant for you, your teammates, and everybody involved with Grizz football?
2: You know, when I think back on it, um, I, I, I take pride in the fact that as you know, relatively young men, we were able to look at what it was in 2000 and get 100 guys going in the same direction to get back there and win it the next year, to, to me, that's one of the things that really um, is significant is to get that many people on the same page and get going from you know everybody moving to one goal and uh, and putting in the the time and the effort and uh, off season and everything that's required. Um, th- that to me is exceptional.
0: John Edwards, Grizz Greats. If you want to hear the entire episode or you want to check out the podcast series from a couple years ago, let's go on your various podcast hosting platforms. If you just go Grizz Greats 2001, it should get you right there. We have a bunch of fun episodes. Johansi Humphrey, uh, Atu Molden, John Edwards, Dylan McFarlane, Joe Glenn, uh, a bunch of great uh, former Grizzlies. And, of course, the reason we're taking it back to 2001, that's the last time that Furman and Montana play. They play Friday night under the lights at Washington Grizzlies Stadium. And uh, we got a pair of tickets for you. So call us right now, 406-888-1029. That's triple eight one zero two nine. Call number 3, 406-888-1029. Call us right now for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the uh, FCS quarterfinals matchup between the Furman Paladins and the uh, Montana Grizzlies. Now, it's Pin Radio. How about this actual game? We just learned so much about Furman and their head coach, Clay Hendricks, and their quarterback, Tyler Huff, and some history about the university and the football program and the Grizz greats, uh, you know, the last matchup with the Grizz. What about this actual game, though? Well, I, I think that this game, it's so interesting the way that the Grizz, it's been a really long time. It's been a really, really long time since the Grizz have the specific dynamic going that they do right now and that is that they play with so much heart, passion, grit, and they make such great plays special teams-wise, and they can also capture momentum and then ride momentum and capitalize that into backbreaking plays for their opponents and cause these tidal waves, that it really doesn't matter how they play throughout the scope of the 60 minutes. If they make a big play, like blocking a punt like Sawyer Rocketelli did last week, And then they take that block punt and they score a touchdown. Or they force a fumble and then they pick that fumble up and they return it for a touchdown. Or they get a safety. These momentum shifting and momentum carrying plays, when they do that, and then you couple in the fact that they're at home, and then you couple in the fact that they are, you know, playing in the cold December evenings at Washington Grizzly Stadium then I really just don't think it matters. Like, how do you run the ball? How many yards per carry? I mean, you got to be functional offensively for sure. And if you make big plays offensively, that helps a lot. But, like, people have asked me, okay, well, Coulter, I think that Furman's going to have the best run defense that the Grizz have faced. That's fine. If Furman shuts down the Grizz run, I don't think it matters. You know, if uh, there's so many things that can hurt you in terms of impeding your own selves if you are the favored team in these playoff games. The likelihood of that happening for the Grizz is so slim to me. Like the Grizz not showing up, the Grizz folding under pressure, or the Grizz puking the ball over the field and committing a bunch of turnovers, I think those are negligible if not non-factors to consider. I just can't imagine that happening. So then, therefore, how many yards Clifton McDowell throws for, how many yards Eli Gilman runs for, or whatever, I just think if the Grizz continue to make huge plays that shift the momentum, and when they do it, then they capitalize on them, which has been the whole key to this eight-game winning streak. I think if you take those parts of the formula and you put them at home in December under the lights, I think they're unbeatable. Now, for all that to to fall into place, it would be pretty interesting, and I also don't know if you can say that that's going to for sure carry over into the semis if by chance South Dakota or North Dakota State is coming here. We'll see. But I think I think it would take a catastrophe for the Grizz to lose on Friday night. I'll leave you with that. I'm on my way to the coach's show. These guys are going to take you home. We'll be back at it tomorrow, though, with a full slate for you. Plenty more Furman stuff for you and uh, a whole bunch of other guests. The Oakland Ballers, we'll learn about them. We'll also have some soccer stuff on tomorrow's show. Brooks is talking all things NFL betting lines and much more. Nuwadis now at ESPN Radio. Visit jshulteilaw.com. This is Nuanez Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula.
1: Question I have, where did Mary J. get her wigs back in 2001? Because we're watching the music video for that song, Family Affair by Mary J. Blige. Coming back here on Nuanez Now, and she is rocking some incredible hair pieces. Angles to them. Uneven, orange, and gray, and black, and everything. What's up, everybody? Uh, Nuanez now here on 102.9 ESPN Missoula, as well as SWX Montana in the ESPN MT app. Colter Nuanez running off to check out Bobby Houck's coach's show down at Finn tonight. Andrew Houghton bringing you home here just for another minute. On Nuanez now, we're listening to music from the early 2000s because the uh, the playoff game in the state of Montana this week, Grizz hosting Furman on Friday night, Friday night lights at Washington Grizzly Stadium. And, of course, those two teams met in the 2001 National Championship game, won by Montana, still the Grizzlies' last national title, and they've had chances since then. They've got a chance this year at least to go back to Frisco Thanks for being with us today. Great show for you. Remember, you can catch everything on the Nuanez Now podcast, brought to you by Blackfoot Communications, as well as the M-Store and the MSU Bookstore. Just search Nuanez Now on all your favorite podcast platforms. Today, we caught up with Sam Herter, National FCS expert from Hero Sports. Also had MSU volleyball coach Matt Houck. MSU volleyball still playing. Uh, In the uh, semifinals of a postseason tournament, we also caught up with Mike Anderson from Grizz Hockey, talked a little bit about Furman, caught up with quarterback John Edwards, who led the Grizz to that 2001 national title. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Till then, thanks for listening.
0: Colter Nuonis from ESPN Montana here at the M-Store.